0: And who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you, and peace from him who is, and who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us. And has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you that you have given us the scriptures. Uh, It is our deep desire to understand them that they would be our food. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And uh, Father, uh, we pray that your Holy Spirit would come now and enlighten our minds, help us to understand this text that has been so challenging for your people throughout the years. And um, would you take these words and would you apply them into our minds, our hearts, our lives, into our community, and um, help us understand them. And so uh, we thank you for your presence among us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as I mentioned today, we're beginning a a series on the book of Revelation, and we'll be looking at the first three chapters of Revelation between now and uh, in August. It'll probably take us three or four summers to get through Revelation. And It's a bit intimidating to study uh, this book. Probably for those of you who have read it, uh, you've been challenged and wondered at places, what is this talking about? You know, there's this scorpion locust and the mark of the beast and and there's the seven trumpets and a Revelation is so rich with imagery, and some of you have maybe read it and just given up on it and said, I just don't even read it anymore. I don't know what it's talking about. It's too hard. Um, but when we come to a passage of Scripture that we, we feel that way, I, I don't know what this means. That means it's a place where we can grow, a place, place where we need to grow and where we need to learn. And this is particularly true in our uh, generation. You know, American Christians— have for a long time taken a pretty shallow understanding of the Bible. And they say, well, you know, I believe in Jesus, try to live a good life, go to heaven when I die. And now uh, the intellectual demands that are placed on God's people in our culture right now are far stronger. That, that you know, increasingly we hear about the church and about the Bible, that it's an oppressive book, and, and we know that it's the love of Christ that is displayed in God's word. And so we need to go deep into God's Word, and there's no deeper place in the whole Bible than Revelation. And why study it right now? Well, I'll tell you one reason is uh, to study Revelation. One of the reasons why I wanted to study it is because Revelation is a profoundly political book. Uh, We read about Babylon, which is the, the archetype of the city of man. And uh, we read about the beast with the 10 horns that represent 10 kings. And even in this passage, it says about Jesus in verse 5 there, he is the ruler of the kings of the earth. And uh, at the center of the book of Revelation, in, uh, I, I, there's an angel who blows the seventh trumpet. And there's a loud voice in heaven that says this, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. So it's about the conflict between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of the earth. Revelation is a theopolitical book about the nations of the world, and in a culture facing such political turmoil, division, confusion, we need the wisdom and truth of God. Revelation, is that true? So we're going to be studying Revelation over the next few years, uh, during the summers. As you say, there's a, there's a number of ways of reading Revelation that Christians have read Re- Revelation throughout history. Um, I'll, I'll kind of summarize them with three of them. Um, the first reading is what's called the Preterist reading of Revelation. The Preterist reading says that Revelation is about specific events that happen in history, and they're recorded in these cryptic imagery, but those events largely happened in the first century. So that's the view that I pretty much take of Revelation that we'll be talking about in the sermon. A second reading, so there's a preterist reading. There's also the historicist reading, which says that Revelation is about the whole age from the first coming of Christ to the second coming of Christ and the, the age of the church and all the conflicts that the church will face throughout that age. And so it's not talking about specific events. It's more general, um, you know, picture of what the life of the church is going to be in that age until Christ comes again. And then there's the, the, um, the futurist reading of Revelation, which also says that Revelation is about specific historical events that are kind of cryptically woven into the book, except those events are, hap- are going to happen in the future, you know, before the, the second coming or before the, the end of history. And, uh, and so, um, though I think Revelation is uh, writing largely about the, f- the events of the first century, and I'll explain why as we go through this sermon, I do think there are patterns that happen throughout history. And so the historicist reading is right in that sense. There are patterns about God's people throughout history. And Revelation does speak about some things that will happen in the future. And so the futurist reading is also partly true as well. So we're going to benefit from all these readings of Revelation. But this morning um, is an introduction. And we're just going to introduce this book by answering two uh, simple questions. What is Revelation? And what is Revelation about? What is Revelation? What kind of book is it? What kind of literature are we reading? What kind of thing are we hearing from? And then what is Revelation about? What is the main subject matter of the book of Revelation? So two uh, important questions this morning. The first is this. What is Revelation? What kind of literature are we reading? And these opening verses give us some an answer to that. And I want to give three answers about, to what is Revelation. And the first answer is, that revelation is, reveal, is a revealing of hidden realities. Revelation is a revealing of hidden realities. And you, and you see how the book begins there, in verse 1, where it says the revelation of Jesus Christ. And the Greek word there for revelation is apocalypse. So it begins the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. And for most of us, when we hear the word apocalypse, what, do you, what does that make you think of? Zombies is what you think of. It's like a world taken over by zombies. There's a few humans left. Or there's a virus that's wiped out everyone. There's been some cataclysmic event that has wiped out humanity. It's a whole genre of film is post-apocalyptic. But the word apocalypse means to uncover. To reveal. In the Old Testament, the word apocalypse was used to uncover the nakedness of someone. And uh, it is seeing parts of someone that are normally hidden. And it makes sense that nakedness would be a subject matter of of, uh, what's happening in Revelation because Revelation culminates in a wedding, the the marriage supper of the Lamb, where Jesus is married to his bride, his people. And we'll see actually in a couple weeks in chapter 1, that uh, something like the great love poem, the great love poem of the Old Testament is called Song of Songs, where it's these songs that uh, these two lovers sing back to one another. And in one of the scenes, the the woman, they both say about each other, well, they describe one another from head to toe and how beautiful they are and how much they love one another. Well, that's gonna happen in chapter one, where Jesus, the risen Lord, is gonna go from head to toe about what he's like. And then in the end, there's gonna be the marriage supper of the lamb. And only the bride gets to see the nakedness of her husband. And that's why only the church can unveil and understand the mystery of Revelation. Revelation is written in a way that only those who have the Spirit of God, who obey the Word of God, will be able to hear it and be blessed by it. And you see, I love this beginning in verse 3, how it says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. I just have to read it to you and I'll be blessed. The pastors are going to be blessed in this because we're going to read it aloud. But then it says you're going to be blessed too. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it. It is a blessing that we speak these words and hear them. And so the apocalypse is not about the end of the world. It's about the revealing of hidden things. And later in this book, we're going to Follow John, he's gonna ascend up into the throne room of God himself and and we're gonna hear about all these angels and different creatures that serve God in his very presence. Things that are normally hidden to us are gonna be revealed to us in this book, okay? So first, Revelation is a revealing of hidden realities. Second, Revelation is Jesus' book of the Bible. Revelation is Jesus' book of the Bible, And you see in verse one again, it says the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants things that must soon take place. And so the Bible has 66 books in it. The Bible is kind of like a library. But the reason we call the Bible one book is because all those 66 books tell a unified story. It's kind of like the seven books in Harry Potter. They all tell one story. It's like that's what the Bible's like. And they're all put together. And as you read through the Bible, it has these different authors. So the first five books are written by Moses. And then a bunch of the Psalms. Most of the Psalms are written by David. And then Isaiah wrote Isaiah. And Jeremiah wrote Jeremiah. Ezekiel wrote Ezekiel. And, and Zechariah wrote Zechariah. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote the Gospels. And Paul wrote all these letters. Then you come to the climax, the end of the 66 books, and the Lord himself gives us his book, Jesus' final capstone of the whole story, which makes sense because the book of Hebrews describes the books of the Bible this way. Hebrews starts by saying, long ago, at many times in many places, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And so the son of God is the final word from God. Who has the final word? Jesus. He's the final prophet and nothing can be added to him. And actually, the the closest literary parallels that we have in the Bible to Revelation are the prophets of the Old Testament. If you read Isaiah or you read Ezekiel or Zechariah, those are the closest parallels. So Jesus is the final and last prophet, and this is his prophecy that is written down for us. And the fact uh, that this is Jesus' book of the Bible— explains some of the syntax in the language that's used in Revelation. You see how in in the second part of verse 1, it says that Revelation was written down by the apostle John. See there, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. So it's the revelation of Jesus written down by John. And there are some debates about who's this John. Um, You know, in the Gospels, there's a John who is one of Jesus' closest disciples. And then we have the Gospel of John that, uh, that actually doesn't mention the name John in it. He's called the, the disciple who Jesus loves. We usually think that that's the same John. And then there's, the, the, there's a John who wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And then there's this John in Revelation. Now, historically, Christians have said they're all the same John. But some people say the syntax, the language seems so different between the Gospel of John and Revelation. Maybe these are different people. Um, but the syntax is actually... Not that different. There are so many common themes between Revelation and the Gospel of John that even in this passage, you see how John is described? Look at verse 2. John, who bore witness to the Word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. You hear those things, the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ? If you go read the first two verses of the Gospel of John and the last two verses of the Gospel of John, you'll immediately know this is the same guy. Is the same theme that they're talking about. Uh, And the Gospel of John and Revelation are like a two-part series. Um, And actually the first chapter of the Gospel of John and the final chapter of Revelation have many of the same themes in them. They repeat many of the same words. Words like the beginning and all things, light, God tabernacling among us, the grace of Jesus Christ, water, trees, the Lamb of God. And so it's convenient as a church, we just finished the gospel of John and now we're moving into part two, which is Revelation. And so why is the language so different though? If John wrote both of them, why is the language so different? Well, the gospel of John is John's eyewitness account uh, from his own personality. It's Jesus' best friend telling his most memorable stories about him. But Revelation is the book of Jesus dictated to John through angels. And so we should expect the syntax to be different. It's not John's book. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay, so first two answers. What is revelation? It's, it's a revealing of hidden realities, and it's Jesus' book of the Bible. Now, if Jesus wrote a book of the Bible based on the other teaching that we have, what would we expect that book to be like? Well, that's the third thing about what is revelation, is that revelation is like a parable. Revelation's like a parable. What do we know about how Jesus teaches people? He teaches through parables. He he doesn't teach literally. He uses images. So for example, when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, if you think the kingdom of heaven is actually a mustard seed, you're not getting his point. That's not what it's about. It's not that the kingdom is actually a mustard seed. Uh, If you take Revelation literally, you're going to be equally as confused. So how are we supposed to read Revelation if we're not supposed to read it literally? Literally. Well, the other thing about the way Jesus does his parables is Jesus' parables always draw on the Old Testament. You know, he says things like, oh, you know, the kingdom is like a vineyard. And if you go back in the Old Testament, you're going to find that Israel was a vineyard throughout the Old Testament. Or Jesus will say things like, oh, you know, the kingdom, it's like this lost son who ran away from his father. Go in the Old Testament. What was Israel in the Old Testament? The son of God. He's drawing on the images of the Old Testament. And you can see in this passage, you notice in verse 7, it says, behold... He is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Now, if you just come to Revelation and read that, what do you think that's talking about? He's going to come on the clouds and every eye will see him. Probably most of us think this is talking about the end of history when Jesus is going to come riding on the clouds and he's going to bring the judgment upon all the nations of the earth. But this is quoting Daniel chapter 7. And you got to go back to Daniel chapter 7 and read what it means about the son of man riding on the clouds. And if you go back to Daniel chapter 7, you'll find the son of man does not come from heaven riding on the clouds to earth. He comes from earth riding on the clouds to heaven to receive a kingdom from the ancient of days and dominion over all the nations of the earth. So Jesus riding on the clouds, when did that happen? That didn't happen at the end of history. It happened 2,000 years ago. When he went back into heaven, and actually if you read Acts chapter 1, when Jesus ascended into heaven, do you know where he, how he went into heaven? In a cloud. So you have to go back to the Old Testament or you're going to misread everything that Revelation is talking about. In fact, one scholar said that every book of the Old Testament is alluded to in Revelation. Revelation. It's an incredible masterpiece. Revelation takes the whole Old Testament and weaves it together and shows that the whole thing is leading to Christ. And actually, I've just scratched the surface studying the book of Revelation. In the little study that I have done, I'm telling you, I think it is the great literary masterpiece of all history. Uh, the, there's so many words that are like, this word's used seven times. This word's used 12 times. This is the meaning of that. Here's all the layers. And 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 people have been studying it for centuries. And and they're still like, I'm not sure I understand it. I'm not sure I understand it. You think, oh, I'm going to follow this pattern. It should do this. And then it surprises you. No, it's doing that. It's an incredible masterpiece of artwork. And that's what we should expect because it's Jesus' book. We know that Jesus' teaching is the most wise in teaching in all of history And we should expect nothing less than revelation. So what is revelation? It's a revealing of hidden realities. It's Jesus' book of the Bible, the final word, the final prophecy that comes from the Son of God. And it's like a parable. It shouldn't be read literally. And it's constantly drawing on the images of the Old Testament. So you're only going to understand it if you understand the Old Testament. Okay? And so that leads to our, our second question then. What is Revelation then about? What is the subject matter of the book of Revelation? And again, I'd like to give three answers to that. What's the subject matter? This is important. First, Revelation is about the early church. Revelation is about the early church. And one of the things that's made explicit at the beginning of Revelation is that it's about things that happened to the first generation of Christians. And twice, The opening verses insist upon this. You see what it says in verse 1? The very beginning of the book. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place. The things that happen in Revelation happen soon after this was written. Verse 3, again, repeated. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of the prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. We cannot ignore or explain away these clear guideposts at the beginning of the book. The events being described in Revelation are largely about what happened to the early Christians. And some of you might think that Revelation is largely about the end of the world. Um, you know, there were, in the 90s there were a series of uh, books about Revelation, the Left Behind series, that said that most of it is about events in the 21st century in the Middle East or in the nations around the world. And uh, Christians have attempted that kind of thing to predict the events that are leading up to the coming of Christ throughout history. And it has failed over and over again. They're always wrong. (laughs) They've always been wrong. Obviously, they've always been wrong. It doesn't work and because the whole project is misguided. This passage tells us clearly who the audience of this book is. Look at verse 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia... And we'll know from the passage we look at next week, these are seven specific churches in Asia that were planted during the first century. And so Revelation, it's like Paul's letters to the church in Rome or to the church in Corinth or to the church in Ephesus or Colossae. They're pastoral letters applying the gospel to the situation of the first century churches. And Revelation explicitly starts off assuring us this book is no different than those books. But you might ask, Aren't there things about the end of the world in Revelation? Largely no. The end of the book does give us a vision of history and the final judgment and the new creation and the consummation of the kingdom in the future. But even in this passage, you know that verse that I read to you in verse 7 where it says, Behold, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. And we think, oh, that's got to be about the end of history where Jesus comes riding on the clouds. Except what does it say next? Behold, he's coming with the clouds and every eye will see him even those who pierced him. Who are the people that pierced Jesus? Jews living in Jerusalem in the first century. These are first century people. And actually, that's a quote, again, from Zechariah Zechariah 12. you got to go back to Zechariah 12, and you find this is about the inhabitants in Jerusalem, in the city of David, who are going to mourn over uh, this son of man who is going to be pierced. So... um, This is talking about something that will happen in Jerusalem in the first century. So what event in Jerusalem could be described in the book of Revelation? Well, that's uh, the second answer to what Revelation is about. So first, it's about the early church. The second answer is that Revelation is about the New Testament. Revelation is about the same subject matter as the rest of the New Testament. It's not taking up a new topic. It has the same concerns. It's obsessed with the same things as the rest of the New Testament. And often the way we read the rest of the New Testament is we think about the historical context. When you read the Gospels, what are the Gospels about? Jesus in the first century, his teaching, his ministry, his life, his death under Pontius Pilate, his resurrection. What's the book of Acts about? It's about the early church planting churches in the first century around, around the Mediterranean. What is the rest of the New Testament about? Pastoral letters that first century pastors wrote to, the, uh, wrote to those churches that were planted in the first century. All, these books all have similar themes, and Revelation talks about those same themes. Peter Lighthart puts it this way. Revelation is a book in the New Testament, completely at home within the concerns and obsessions of New Testament theology generally. In wild symbolism, Revelation depicts events recounted in the straightforward prose of Acts as well as events that occur shortly after John writes. The issues raised in Revelation are those that Jesus focused on and that are discussed in a very different idiom in the letters of Paul. Revelation's battles are the same apostolic battles, though described very very differently. To come to the apocalypse with any other expectation is to open a canyon between Matthew through Jude and the last book of the New Testament. Once we dig that chasm, the apocalypse can mean just about anything at all. So if you take Revelation, you separate it from what the rest of the New Testament is about, Revelation can become about anything. And it has become about anything. So when we come to the question, what event happened in the first century that relates to Jesus riding on the clouds? Well, Jesus explicitly talks about this in the Gospels. In Jesus' final week before his crucifixion, he was in Jerusalem. And he was walking around uh, the temple. And he looked at the temple and he pointed to it. And he's talking to his disciples. And this is what he said in, in Matthew 24. You see all these things? He points to the temple. Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Jesus predicts that the temple will be destroyed and that Jerusalem will be burned. And do you know how he describes that in the verses right after that? He says, Then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. And then just a few verses later, he says this, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. The big event that Jesus was anticipating is that Jerusalem and the temple will be destroyed. And so when you read later in Revelation... There's a harlot city called Babylon. Do you know who the harlot is in the Old Testament? It's always God's people, and uh, this city is going to fall and be destroyed, that Revelation says. And the beginning of Revelation says this is all going to happen soon, and so we have to ask the question: Does Jesus in the, in the earlier in the New Testament talk about the fall of a city anywhere else? He does. He says that Jerusalem and the temple will be destroyed, and he was right. Forty years, one generation after Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, Jerusalem was destroyed and the temple was destroyed, and the temple has not been rebuilt to this day. From the Bible's perspective, the lifetime of Jesus and the apostles is the generation on which all of history turns. Let me say that again. From the Bible's perspective, the lifetime of Jesus and the apostles is the generation on which all of history turns. There was an old world that was ending, that had been in place for millennia, and a new world was coming alive. And I wish I could show you the thousand ways that our world has been transformed by that one generation. Radically transformed. It is the turning point of all of history. And that turning point of all history is what Revelation is about. Now, some of you will hear this and say, Well, if Revelation is about events that happened in the first century, does it have nothing to do with us or to do with the future? Not at all. It's just like the rest of the New Testament. We don't read Romans and say, well, that has nothing to do with us. We read Romans and we try to apply it into our church. Or we don't read Acts and say that has nothing to do with us. We say they were planting churches. We got to plant churches. We got to do what they were doing in those early books. And actually, we believe that even though those books were written about the first century, they set a pattern for the church in the world throughout history. And again, what's insisted upon in these early verses of Revelation, setting up the whole book. Look at what it says, in the second part of verse four there. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And then that line's repeated in verse eight. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come. God is unchanging throughout history. His dealings with people are not changing throughout history. And the whole pattern of all history is the death and resurrection of God's people. And that's what Revelation is about. And so though Revelation is speaking about Jerusalem in the first century as Babylon, the great harlot city, there will be other Babylons and harlot cities places where God was worshipped and then they've turned away from God and Revelation is a warning to them that you will experience the same fate that (laughs) Babylon the great harlot uh, receives in Revelation. And so what is Revelation about? It's primarily about the early church and it covers the same topics as the rest of the New Testament and it should be applied to our lives the same way the rest of the New Testament is. But what is the great topic of the New Testament? When you go through the Gospels and Acts and all the letters of the apostles, what is their ultimate obsession that they can't stop talking about? Well, that's the final answer is that Revelation is about Jesus. He is the great topic that they don't stop talking about. And in the Gospels, Jesus is revealed to us in his humiliation. You know, he came down as a baby into a poor family and he was homeless and he was friends with outcasts and the poor and the sinners and ultimately he was rejected by his people and he's crucified. We see the humiliation of the son of man, the son of God. But in Revelation, we behold Jesus exalted. He is the lamb who's now seated on the throne. He alone can open uh, the seven seals He alone has been given all authority in heaven and earth. And you see the way this opening passage just displays the majesty and wonder and mystery of who Jesus is. Listen to this again from verse five. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. I mean, you can't have more epic names than the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. And then it goes on. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. And so when this says, This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It's the revelation that Jesus gave to us. It's his book. But ultimately, it's a revelation of Jesus Christ because he is the one who's revealed in its pages. And so why will we study revelation so carefully Is ultimately to study Christ himself? Because what is revelation? It is a revealing of the hidden realities about Jesus because it is his book of the, the Bible, the final word from God's own son, the final prophecy But that that comes to us like a parable filled with images that you can't read literally, but it's this great literary masterpiece of all history, tying together all the themes of every book of the Old Testament. And what is it about? What's the subject matter? The same thing the rest of the New Testament is about. The meaning of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and ascension. It's about his servants who have followed him. It's about the great turning point in history when the old system of God's covenant came to an end and the kingdom of Jesus began to go out to every nation. But ultimately, revelation is about Jesus. May we know him ever more deeply, and in beholding him, we will be blessed. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you and bless you that uh, you would give to your son this revelation that has been sent to us by angels through the apostle John. And we thank you that your word has such wild books in it that not only we will spend our whole life studying and never get to the, the depths of its meaning, but the church has studied for centuries and has still not um, arrived at the depths of the wonder of who Jesus is written in these pages. And we pray, Lord, that as we study this book, it would lead us into worship. Throughout the book, we see your servants in heaven and on earth worshiping the lamb who was slain. We want to join into that choir And so stir our hearts as we study it. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.